Thank you. All right. Okay, my name is Jerry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jerry. And uh, it's 1 o'clock and time to begin the meeting. Um, okay, did you all sign in the speakers list? Okay. Okay, welcome to the sponsorship workshop. My name is Jerry, and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, Um, before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. Okay, Uh, we we remind you that this session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 15 minutes each. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Yeah. And followed by questions from the floor to the panelists. The topic for this session is sponsoring what works, what doesn't, letting go of defiance. The following is a reading from the pamphlet, A Guide to the Twelve Steps for You and Your Sponsor. Sponsorship is the vital keys to success in Overeaters Anonymous. The sponsor maintains recovery from compulsive overeating by sharing the 12-step program with others. The newcomer, in reaching out for help from a successful OA member, transcends the long-held idea that self-sufficiency must be maintained at all costs and acquires a state of humility so necessary for the practice of the 12 steps. The sponsor and the newcomer, some use the term baby, benefit equally from the relationship. The best way to learn to be a sponsor is to have a sponsor. Methods of sponsorship vary from person to person. Some say the best way to be a sponsor is to be a friend. Some sponsors take a highly structured approach. Others are easygoing and flexible. As members mature on, this, on the program, their style of sponsorship usually changes. Our first speaker is Sherry G. And I'm going to, so here she comes. Okay. All right. I'm Sherry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. So uh, just quickly, um, I came into the program in 1984, so soon uh, at Christmas time it'll be uh, 29 years, and um, the last uh, uh, 15 of them I've been working the How Concept part of the program, that's How OA, and um, uh, let's see, I do maintain a 55-pound weight loss, I've been maintaining that for about... Uh, 14 years, and um, I, th- I think that's it. I just want to make one quick uh, clarification, because I know I always encounter confusion about the how business, and that is um, that it is, some people think it's the same as CEA how. You might have heard of C-How, also called Compulsive Eaters Anonymous, and I just want to say that's an outside issue here. We are um, 
Overeaters Anonymous, how OA is part of OA, the how concept part of the program is part of Overeaters Anonymous, the see how or the CEA how meetings are not part of Overeaters Anonymous. They're another group under another umbrella. So, um, and the only reason why I mention that is because people have come up to me and said, how could you speak here at the convention? Are you in OA? So up north, I'm from Northern California. We uh, have a lot of how OA meetings. There's no confusion. Evidently down here, there's a bunch of the other. So there's a whole lot of confusion. So I just wanted to put that out. Uh, so, so, so I'm going to speak to sponsorship from the uh, program that I work, the How OA program, and it's a very structured uh, uh, program. That's uh, that that's good for me. That's what's worked for me, and um, it's it's laid out for you. It's also flexible enough so that it isn't in stone, but it's uh, laid out in a structured way for you to use. And, um, and and I do have requirements as a sponsor. This always shocks people. I know every time I say this, there's always somebody in the audience that says, you can have requirements? I thought you can't have requirements in OA. Well, Overeaters Anonymous doesn't make requirements, but as a sponsor, you can. You can make any requirements you want to make, and then the person has a choice whether to have you as their sponsor or not. So it's all very fair, and I do have uh, requirements as a sponsor of my sponsees. I expect them to more or less do what I do, not maybe exactly the way I do it, but I expect them to put, you know... uh, you know, the same things into the program that I've done. I expect them to try, you know, uh, to do everything to be abstinent. Um, And I expect them to go to HOW meetings, of course, if they're going to work the HOW program. Uh, I expect them to follow our HOW food plan. And um, there is a basic food plan, then there's a maintenance food plan. I expect them to do service. Very important. They have to do service above the meeting level, not just at meetings. But go to intergroup. You don't have to forever, but try it. Um, eventually go to region, assembly, be a rep, if you can. I mean, I sponsor people who have not been able to do this, and that for one reason or another, it's okay. But I encourage it. And then um, I always encourage going to world service also. And uh, many of them do. And uh, But at least, and if you can't do those kind of things above meeting level service, then at least work on a convention and, and do things like that, put on a day in a way, work on a committee. These are all above meeting level services. So those are my requirements. And call me at an appointed time. Um, we set up a mutual time that's good for us. Uh, it has to be in the morning, you know, for me, but sometime in the morning. And to call at that appointed time. We, and it changes. I mean, when you're a newcomer, you call me every day and we talk, you know, for about 15 minutes. If you need more, you can have more. But I know a newcomer always wants 15 minutes. And then the longer they've been in, maybe the less they have to talk and the less times, you know, maybe not every day. But it adjusts. But it's a, by appointed time. It's don't try to catch up with me. It's too hard, you know, unless it's an emergency, of course. Call it the appointed time. Uh, and, and they send me their food every day. That can be by email. I don't mind an email food because I get to look at it and I can process it easier. Um, and then um, for the first 30 days, uh, it's, it's, we have 30 questions. It's all nice and organized. You get a question a day, and that takes you first through your first three steps. And... Um, you have to do some reading in the 12 and 12 and the big book and the OA 12 and 12, and then you answer questions. And 
about yourself and about your family and about your food history, this is great because then the next day the sponsor reads it to the sponsor over the phone. And, and this is great. You're getting to know your sponsee. They're getting to know themselves. At the end of the 30 days, they finish the 30 questions. You've taken them through the first three steps, and, and that's how that works. And then um, there's the fourth step, and that's a written list of questions. It's 170 questions. Now, those you don't do one a day necessarily. Uh, there are some that are very almost non-applicable, so you may just do seven of them in one day. They're so brief. Then there's some that may take you almost three days to answer because you had so much to say about it. That fourth step is your personal inventory, and it covers everything that all the other forms of fourth step cover, and the sponsee reads it to the sponsor on the phone, that same method the next day. So I just ask them to approach that like, but why don't you just give yourself 20 minutes at least to write every day, answer what you can, and then read to me what you've written the next day. So eventually, the 170-question inventory is finished. You've finished your fifth step, therefore. You've read it to me on the phone. That's your fifth step. So now we're up to 6 through 12, which is more questions, and, um, and then it refers you to uh, other program literature, you know, all the books that are approved in the program, some AA books, OA books, and it uh, uh, puts you through those steps by reading those, uh, that background and then answering those questions, and you've worked the 12 steps in that very structured way. Uh, there's more questions after that. There are maintenance questions. If you're not necessarily at maintenance weight, maintaining your program. So you answer those questions. And uh, in uh, uh, for sponsoring for me, um, you know, abstinence is the priority. And, um, and we define absence, of course, as uh, abstaining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while maintaining or at least working towards a healthy body weight. And I feel my job is to make that a priority and help my sponsee do that. I don't let go or fire a sponsee if they're not abstinent as long as they're doing everything that they need to do to get abstinent. And, and, you know, that means follow the food plan the best they can. We weigh and measure. We have a food scale, and we use it at home. You don't have to take it out with you. But, you know, use it at home. Uh, and, and, and that means, um, you know, going to the meetings, using all the tools, all of the tools, and working the steps and, and, and doing everything possible. And people do have slips. We don't, I don't let them go just because they're not abstinent. But they're working real hard to, to get there. And um, I sponsor, like now, I am retired, and I have the, the, the ability, you know, the time to, I sponsor five people. And then that may not sound like a lot, because I know I've heard people say, oh, I have 10, 12, but, you know, it, it's, it's, they call, a lot of them call every day, and we talk, and it's a lot of work, you know. It's not just a, a little superficial sponsoring. And, uh, but I'm open for another one, for a newcomer. I haven't sponsored a newcomer in a while, and I'm really wanting to do that. I'm craving that. There's nothing like sponsoring a newcomer, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'd like to do that. How much time do I have? Three more minutes. Okay. Um, 
so you can see in the How Away program, it is it is structured, uh, it, it, but but there's flexibility within it. I say, for example. Um, Someone comes to me and asks me to sponsor them, and we, I give them the food plan, and I ask them to take that to their doctor uh, and, and have them look at it and make sure it's okay for them. There are some people who are young enough that they have to have food added, and then there's some people that are so athletic they have to have actual meals added. It can't be just the three meals with nothing in between the way the general one is. And, you know, and then there's just some people who have a, a whatever the reason is they need more food less food more often food so it you know that that if they're going to their doctor and this is what their doctor says and it makes sense to me anyway that's fine i work with them with that and um there's been people i've, I've had people who had a, a a writing disability and um, they put a lot of thought into the question, and then they just talked to me about it the next day. That doesn't happen often, but, you know, I, there's flexibility within it. There's, there's no one who can't do it uh, who doesn't want to. And, and if I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty flexible as a sponsor, so I usually can make it work with anyone. Uh, I say that's about it. That's what's worked for me, and that's what I've seen work for a lot of other people. And now you're going to hear two other views. Thank you. Our next speaker is Ella H. And uh, here she is. Uh, where's the, there's supposed to be time cards. Just wait with me. Hi, I'm Ella. Indeed, I am Ella, and I'm from Oakland, California. And let me show you the blouse I just bought at the boutique. Um, I remember to wear the blouse, but I forgot all my notes in my room. And um, so we're going to see. So this is called um, sponsorship, sponsoring what works and what doesn't. What works is to be a sponsor and to have a sponsor. What doesn't work is to not be a sponsor and to not have a sponsor. So I guess I could sit down. <laughs> um, but I wanted to amplify a little bit on why we need to sponsor and then how I sponsor and if I have time, a little bit on what it was like for me to, to be a sponsee. Um, so the first thing we learn about why we need to sponsor. Oh, let me just tell you, I've been in OA since 1982, June 16th. I came in when I was 40, 31 years. Um, I've been abstaining continuously this last time since January of 1996. So uh, I do believe that gives me about 13 years or so when I was wandering in the wasteland. And during that time, I certainly had long periods of abstinence. I tried every single kind of food plan. I went to open AA meetings. I did everything I could, and a lot of the times I could not be abstinent. The one thing I did do was I kept coming back, and I was honest. And that, in a nutshell, if you want to know how I sponsor, that is what I ask of my sponsees, that you keep coming back and that you be honest. And when I mean honest, I mean please do not call me and tell me you ate some potato chips. 
you know, because some for some people is a handful, and for other people it's the Costco bag for the Super Bowl. So, you know, we just, just let's just say what it actually was. But anyway, um, I'll get to that later. So why we need to sponsor, I think if you um, start, when I came in, we had only the big book, and um, the cornerstone of AA, and AA doesn't really start with Bill's sobriety. It's, oh God, here we go. It starts with when um, Bill met Dr. Bob and gave the message to Dr. Bob. And if you read Bill's story, the message was brought to Bill by someone who'd been sober less than two months. And Bill lay in his hospital bed and said, I think there's other alcoholics who might want what, who might need what I learned. And he went out immediately. He didn't wait until he was ready, until he had uh, gotten perfect, until he uh, had, you know, formulated the 12 steps even. He just went out there. And one of the things he says is nothing will ensure immunity from that first drink more than working with others. So we're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it to safeguard our own recovery. And I know now that if I eat, I will lose my abstinence not only for me but for my sponsees because I did not sponsor, and I don't, for me, it would not work to sponsor when I'm not abstinent because I would not have what somebody else needs in this program. And I'll just briefly tell you that I've been working with someone, and she's, I'd say she's a bit of a difficult case. And, um, you know, finally kind of came down to, well, is there one thing you are willing to do differently? One thing. And she said, okay, I'm not going to eat after dinner. I said, fine. So the other night I went to a show in San Francisco. I took public transportation. It was great. I didn't get home till 12.30, and I'd eaten dinner at 6. Was I hungry? I was extremely hungry. And I thought, well, a banana, you know, just a banana. And then I thought, oh, God, you know, as is not eating after dinner, I guess I'm not eating after dinner. And, you know, I lived like all of us will live. And I did I hear somebody this morning say that they emailed their food to their sponsees? I believe so. And I thought, man, that would really clean things up, wouldn't it? That would be, that is really going to any lengths. I don't know about that. But in any case, um, what stands in our way? You know, I, I guess people feel I'm not ready to be a sponsor. I'm, I'm, what does that mean? What are we going to be ready for? Someone once said in our fellowship, it's a learn-on-the-job uh, you know, experience. I'm waiting to be perfect. I'm afraid to sponsor because I'm not going to be good enough. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have conflicts. Well, yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I have. Yes, I have made mistakes. Yes, I have had conflicts. Yes, I have pissed my sponsees off. Yes, they have pissed me off. Yes, I have wished they would not call. <laughs> yes, I have wished they would leave the program. Then, then, those, then those I loved and you know, had so much invested in and thought was doing great, they've, one day they've just decided to leave. And there's nothing I can do. And you know, 
I feel that we grow up having these relationships. I'm here to have a relationship. I'm here to be exposed. This person's going to call this paragon of recovery. She's been abstinent for 17 years. She's been in program forever. You know, she's got, well, she's a fucking asshole. I mean, she's, you know, just crazy like everybody else. Of course I am. Um, There is no problem with that because that's life. And I have to learn how to have disagreements I have to learn that being loving is not always, it's not always comfortable. It's okay. And um, so that, you know, I just think that fear, that fear of being exposed, that fear of not being good enough, that's not part of the program. You know, that's not recovery. And recovery is just stepping right in, making those mistakes, and it's fine. No one is going to fail to recover because of anything I say just as no one is guaranteed recovery because of anything I say. And my first sponsor used to say, take none of the credit, take none of the blame. So that being said, there is no reason not to be a sponsor. How do I sponsor? Well, I think what I said, first of all, is I just ask people to be honest and to show up. I I don't like those terms Nazi sponsor. I think that is extremely Well, I just don't like it because most people, someone may be very accurate and they may have their ideas of what they think. And as was pointed out, if you don't like them, you don't have to deal with that. But I think a lot of the times when I think, or I don't like the word rigid food plan. I think a lot of the times when I hear that, it means, oh, I don't really want to be accountable. I, you know, because I want, you know, I want to be flexible. Well, I like to think of the words accurate and, um, yeah, accurate. Like, you know, I have not noticed anybody wishes the airline to be flexible in the time they leave. Or if we say dinner is at 6, I, not too many compulsive overeaters are flexible about the hour when the meal will be served. But, you know, oh, suddenly I must be flexible and spontaneous when it comes to my food plan. Um, you know, I don't think we should be in a... I don't want anybody to be in a straitjacket. I don't want anybody to deprive themselves of life. But it's good to have a plan, and it's good to have an idea. And especially with newcomers, I like to start out with... Um, someone pointed out this morning, make a list of the foods that um, when you eat them you feel uncomfortable, or I say that I'm not willing to eat them in any amount that even resembles a normal serving. Um, Make a list of the behaviors that are, you know, crazy-making. And just don't do that and eat three meals a day. And then, you know, write me your food history. You know, just get started. Um, I just, as I said, ask people to be honest. Um, I was reflecting on this term that people like to say, loving witness. And I think sometimes people, you know, really would like me to be an inbox for their report um, and then just say nothing, or say, there, there, dear, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, Well, for me, the most loving thing anyone can do is tell the truth, and that's for me. So it doesn't always work for other people, because I would prefer that someone tell me accurately, um, you are so off the wall, or, you know, you always say that. And, you know, I used to have one sponsor who would just say, you always say that before this kind of thing, and it always turns out fine. And so I was always grateful for someone to report that to me. 
But I was thinking, like, when we talk, for, so for me, loving is truthful. That may not be true for everybody, but that is for me. And to me, a witness is someone who reports accurately on what they see. Like, I do not think if you call someone as a witness in court, you want them to say, oh, whatever, they were all exactly where they were supposed to be. That was fine. Um, And um, so I feel it is my job to say, um, well, for the past three weeks you've been saying, well, when this thing is over, you'll get back on track. But each week that thing is over, and there's another thing that seems to be coming up as to why you're not on track. I just wanted to point this out. Um, and, oh, yes, I have been saying that. Or, you know, somebody has read me their four-step, and we've identified a defective character, and then when it comes to step six and seven, they're sort of saying, well, maybe that's not a defective character. And you'd have to say, excuse me, um, did we have an hour chat about all your resentments, and did we not conclude that your resentments stemmed from this particular behavior of yours? So now how come it's not a character defect, but it's a great asset to you? So, you know, those kinds of simple questions. Um, And yes, I have given advice to people, I suppose. I'm 71 years old. I kind of feel like I have hopefully learned something in that time, and it's usually in the realm of uh, you're being awfully hard on yourself. Uh, life has, is full of ups and downs. You will always have negative emotions. You will always meet grief and disappointment in this lifetime. So sorry to bring you the news. Uh, doing the steps will not make you perfect and not make you uh, immune from making further mistakes. So, you know, I hope that's not your goal. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. And it's okay. For me, it has to be okay because that's how I was sponsored. And um, when I came in, I was very, very lucky uh, to meet um, a wonderful woman who took my call every morning at 7.45 and who stuck by me no matter what I did and who was so unlike me that, you know, I don't know how I got these people to sponsor me. I mean, you know, and I was reading these four steps. Like, I was a child of the 60s. I had done a number of unsavory things. I did not have a problem with the eighth step. You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, the only person on my list is me. Saying, oh, no, no, the list is very long. (laughs) There's a lot of places I don't want to go. You know, there's parties I don't want to show up at. And it, it was... But I would sit in in her room and just read these things, and she would say, oh, I think you're being very hard on yourself, dear. And, you know, I know she had been married at 18. You know, she was a church-going person, and she listened to all this. And, well, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful because she told me certain things. She told me, join the human race, honey. And she told me that. Whenever I got upset or made a mistake, just join the human race, honey. And I don't forget her ever. I went and lived in Maine for a while. It was one of the more bizarre um, decisions I made to live in rural Maine in which there was no meetings um, except for... There was one abstaining member of OA within 35 miles of my home, And uh, she became my sponsor. And, um, you know, at this time, I was still sort of a 
left-wing uh, Bay Area Marxist Buddhist, and um, no, and she was um, an evangelical minister, and um, <laughs> you know she had some decorations on her wall that would not be on mine, but um, but she was an abstaining member of OA, and she was my sponsor, and. The other person who was my sponsor in Maine, I went to some open AA meetings, and he was Chuck, and he was a um, former sergeant in Vietnam, and he had uh, volunteered, you know, he had re-upped a few times, and I was, you know, one of those uh, flag-waving ho-ho-ho Chi Minh. But he was my sponsor, and... Those people taught me a lot. And they taught me, first of all, that I could receive this message from anyone, no matter who they were, and that I could be taught by anyone, no matter who they were, and that my disease was a powerful persuader. And I, I finally say, you know, I like to go up to, I go up to a lot of newcomers and I say, do you need a sponsor? I go up to the ones that look like they're really desperate and say they're really desperate. And you know, a great number of them, uh, how many, one, two seconds? Oh, uh, um, well, okay. Um, I believe that finally, you know, it was my disease that brought me to recovery. And I was aided by a lot of you and, sh- and saved by this program, saved by my first sponsor. But without the persuasion of my disease and without my own desire to recover, no matter how bizarre and halting that path was, it wouldn't have happened. So, you know, I just encourage everybody, get out there, be a sponsor, be sponsored, be fearless. Well, don't be fearless, but don't be afraid to do those two things. And um, I think we can be part of the recovery that was given to me and that's available to all of us. Thanks. Um, okay, now our last speaker is Jerry J. from San Diego. I'm Jerry Jones, compulsive overeater in San Diego. Um, before I get into my uh, lead, my spiel here, I want to mention that the assignment as we received on the Internet a few weeks ago is defiance and how it relates to how we've experienced defiance and sponsorship. Uh, we may have moderate mealers here. We've got a see how here. We might have regular OA. We might have people who are at their top weight or their, their lowest weight or no weight. I just want to mention that uh, this is just my experience. and I don't want to insult anybody or, or pass judgment on anybody. Um, um, I'm a compulsive overeater. My date of absence is September 1st of 1986, and I'm down approximately 60 pounds for um, those 26 years. Uh, my top weight was 235. Um, I'm maintaining a 25% weight in my body loss for 26 years, but who's counting? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I've been doing OA for 30 years, so I'm not an OA poster child. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be maintaining my weight. Um, I'm not, I don't have any sicknesses that I'm aware of. I'm not on any kind of medication. I do sponsor men. I do not sponsor women any longer or bulimics or anorexics. Uh, my shrink said I don't belong in any woman's head. 
I have a lot of respects for anorexics and bulimics. Uh, they show up for meetings and do service. Um, I have a close relatives who is dying of bulimia at this time. She was uh, uh, one time on crutches uh, uh, and a walker at another time on a wheelchair, and now she's been bedridden the last two years, and I'll miss her. Her bones are deteriorating at this point. My comments today are centered on some of my experiences in the last 26 years of my abstinence uh, and sponsorship. Uh, they do not represent uh, the larger OA population or demographic. Uh, the guys I sponsor are generally guys in their 50s and 60s. Uh, some of them are overweight, and some of them are at goal weight. These guys do not have a serious drug or alcohol problem. Um, I have sponsored men in the past. Uh, I have worked the 12 steps with an OA sponsor, and uh, today I make and receive daily calls. My first OA call is at 5.15 a.m. Uh, my last is at 6.45 a.m., um, we talk a lot about food and what's going on in their lives. I do not spend a lot of time doing therapy uh, in our calls. Uh, <laughs> Thursday morning's call was kind of unusual. I had something I'm going on with one of my sponsees, talk about defiance. <clears throat> and I said, someone so thank you much for your food. I'm, I'm glad you're okay. Oh, by the way, I have a little uh, a homework assignment for you. I want you to go in the bathroom and weigh yourself and call me back in 15 minutes. Click. God is not finished with me yet. I'm a work in process. I've been clean and sober in another 12-step program for 37 years and six months, but who's counting in that one? Uh, my experience has been that in defiance and sponsorship is a pretty serious thing because uh, generally it's a pre precursor to relapse. Um, and my observation when somebody's angry or defiant, it's usually a mask for fear. If you can work with somebody and get behind that fear, what you usually find is desperation. I can work with people that are desperate. <laughs> um, sometimes uh, my experience has also been is when people are defiant, they're, they're on the edge of that slippery slope of relapse, and the mind is calling them back to, into that area that they were at when they came into program. Um, and also, um, reading uh, AA and OA literature, uh, I'm reminded over and over again, but defiance is just who we are. Uh, Webster's defines OA as, a, uh, as mistrust, lack of faith, open, bold, uh, open, bold resistance to authority, uh, to challenge a, 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 a refusal or rejection. And um, researching AA's literature, I had a hard time finding defiance in the big book. However, if you're an alcoholic or on the other 12-step programs, they always read how it works at the beginning of every meeting. Alcoholics do really screwy things. The and the chapter on how it works in the third paragraph, uh, there is a um, sentence that says, at some of these, we balked. And some of my guys go, balk, 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 like a chicken. <laughs> it's not about chickens. It's about defiance. They, they were trying to tell the folks in 1940 that they were telling their sponsees and their babies what to do, and they were saying, basically, screw you. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to believe in a God or a higher power. I'm not going to work your steps. So that's what he's talking about when they said, at some of these, we balked. Um, in, the, in, the a, in, in the AA's 12 and 12, um, <laughs> defiance comes up, comes up on page 5, but also in the second step. And I, I kind of had a, a smile when I read it, because I reread it again because... Um, what they were, when they talked about defiance in the second step, they were talking about people def defying or resisting the believing in the existence of a higher power or God. 
They weren't talking about not calling their food in or eating uh, candy for breakfast and, and ice cream for lunch or not going to meetings or doing service. They were talking about people not believing in God, which is a different concept that we're talking about as far as defiance and sponsorship right now. So people not calling or not showing up for meetings, not showing up for their uh, uh, committed service time is about defiance. And defiance, as I said before, is the beginning of relapse. It can be the beginning of relapse. And in OA, it's very subtle. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it's extremely serious because usually when people are defiant, in my experience in Overeaters Anonymous, people have one foot out the door and one foot in the door. And you as a sponsor might not know it. Um, as I said before, when people are, are not making their calls, not going to meetings, they disappeared. Um, it's, it's about defiance. And sometimes when I realize that my sponsees are defiant, it's already too late. They're probably already lying about their food and lying about their weight gain and don't have the chutzpah to tell me that they're in trouble. Um, and defiance, in my experience, is the uh, function of all chemical addictions. You can fill in the blank of your favorite addiction. By the way, I've never fired a sponsee for overeating or eating their binge foods. I've never fired a sponsee for uh, excess or inappropriate food, especially uh, sugar and grease, which I'll get into later. Um, I, but I, when, I, when I am aware of somebody is defiant, I try to get clarity. I say, are you willing to work with me? If I get them to the place where they're defiant, if I get them to the place where they are desperate, then I've got somebody to work with. My experience in OA is you can't work with a ghost. You can't work with a cadaver. You can't work with somebody who's not calling, is not going to meetings, that comes up once a year to take a token, that's not working a program that has serious weight gain or has never had any weight gain. I can't work with those folks, but I can work with somebody who is willing to work with me. Um, I can also say that um, I'm not the OA police. <laughs> Um, when uh, one of the worst things I can do as a sponsor is being the critical parent. If you've worked with other programs, you know that critical parents sometimes is what got us here. <laughs> I'm very grateful I'm not getting abstinent. I'm staying abstinent. Um, also, being, a, being the OA police is a really no-win situation in my experience. Whether you're a sponsor, sponsee relationship, or you have a committed relationship with somebody in your life, when you're watching somebody else's food in a relationship, the first thing that goes south when things go sideways is the food. That's just been my experience. Um, I view compulsive overeating, and don't throw me out of here for this, and don't, uh, don't tar and feather me, but I don't believe a compulsive overeating is a spiritual malady. I believe it's a chemical dependency, and I treat it as such. My work with my sponsees might be spiritual. Their recognition of their disease and their getting absent might be spiritual, but I don't think compulsive or reading alcoholism, drug addiction, or smoking cigarettes is a spiritual malady. It's a chemical dependency as I view it and as I've uh, experienced in my life. I love OA's literature. I love AA's big book and AA's 12 steps, but the tools that I work with my sponsees is the OA 12 and 12 and the OA specifically the big book. I love that book. And um, <laughs> I was in OA before it, it was before it was printed, and I was very grateful to see it come around. Um, 
And I feel that, as I said before, that compulsive, in my experience, compulsive overeating is a chemical dependency, and the relief from chemical dependency always works 100% of the time um, when people are abstaining from the chemicals that brought them through that door. Um, I learned that in the other root program, I call it the root program, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, the original program that, that I've followed, is that um, when people go to AA meetings and smoke dope between AA meetings or drink alcohol, AA does not work. And I, I, respond, I, rem, I remind my sponsees of this. If you remain absent, the program works. If you're not absent, the program won't work. So my experience in the other program is that when people acknowledge the, the disease or they accept their disease as their disease, when they, when they, when they um, let go of the chemicals, which is the alcohol and the dope, in our case, the sugar and the grease, that they get sober or get abstinent, and there's a change in personality. In 1935, they called it spiritual awakening. And sponsorship, in my experience, also is a two-way street. It's not just about them. Defiance is a warning sign, as I said before. It's very, very serious. Um, but when my sponsees are defiant, I listen. I spend more time listening than I do teaching or expressing my, my, my opinions to my sponsees. I listen to their thinking. I'm not just looking for the warning signs of relapse, but I'm listening to what they're saying. Uh, there's a guy named Clancy from L.A. who's been around for a long time, and he says the most important thing in my life is to wash my thinking through another man's brain. And the reason I say that is a lot of the stuff that goes on up here in the morning at 5 a.m. is not real. It's Jerry Jones created fear and anger or something else. And I believe that everything we do in program is spiritual. Whether you're going to meetings, working with sponsees, doing service, whatever it is, it's all spiritual. And I, and I believe because it's getting you away from a chemical addiction. Um, in AA, when people drink between meetings or smoke dope, we call it a slip, S-L-I-P. Sobriety loses its priority. In OA, when we get away from our disease and we, drink, we eat excess or inappropriate foods, I call it a flip, F-L-I-P. Food loses its priority. So everything that I, most of the things that I'm talking about here is getting folks back into abstinence and staying abstinent. Structure, order, and discipline. Structure, order, and discipline over and over and over again. So when people are defined, I say, let's get back to step one. Let's get, go, get, get a hold of the OA workbook and recommit ourselves. I love the OA 12 and 12, and I love the big book because the only, only literature that I know that really focuses on binge foods and triggers, binge foods and triggers over and over again. Name it, claim it, and dump it. Step one, two, and three. Name it, claim it, and dump it. Name it, claim it, and dump it. Know your binge foods. Know your triggers. K-N-O-W. Know what your binge foods are. Know what your triggers are. But also know N-O binge foods and no triggers. Um, sometimes defiance might require outside help. I really believe in outside help. Between San Diego and Orange County, there's like 600 trained, licensed professionals that can help you with other issues. Uh, I'm not one of them. I'm just a sponsor. Um, I'm not your higher power. I'm just another guy that's uh, trying to stay food sober today. Um, I'll say one thing before I'm getting close to my closing here. Um, what I used to perceive in 1986 is, is defiance. 
I identified today as a lack of boundaries on my part. It's not about them. It's about me as a sponsor. How do I get around this? I ask for a social contract before I get start sponsoring a sponsee. I sit down and I have conversations with them, a long conversation. What do you want from OA? What brought you through that door? 99% of the time, it's sugar and grease. Before we team up as a sponsor and sponsee, I ask, are you willing to work the 12 steps, all 12 steps, one before two, two before three, maybe one a week, but at least all 12 steps? Are you willing to go to X number of meetings each week, at least one meeting a week? By the way, meetings, in my experience, keep your, you keep your disease and your recovery real. Are you willing to give me a minimum of one month before you walk out the door? Are you willing to call your, your healthy food into me at 6 a.m., Monday through Friday, every Monday through Friday? By the way, if you ever notice your sponsees don't miss calls on Monday or Tuesday, it's always on a Friday. That's been my experience. But the knockout question, and it's not a question, it's, it's more of an, a, statement, a statement on my part. I do not sponsor sugar and grease. Here again, we got a bunch of different sponsors in here, a bunch of folks in recovery. You have your deal. This is what I do with my guys. After we set up the sponsorship relationship, I am not finished with setting boundaries. I, I actually set up the time that they're going to call and um, the process of work on the steps, uh, either with a workbook or another uh, form of uh, recovery. Um, after we get in the process, that's my time. I'm almost up. Um, after we get in the process of sponsoring, um, they might have problems. I ask them to get a notebook and write out their thoughts and feelings and call me back if it's something serious. However, I want to say one thing, and I am out of time. There's one thing I don't want to talk about, but I will briefly. It's when somebody's in full relapse, when somebody has gained back significant weight, has walked out the door already. If you're lucky enough to get a hold of them and talk to them, and they're lucky enough to work with them, I do some things I don't normally do with regular sponsees and Overeaters Anonymous. I ask them to get one of these three-by-five notebooks from Target or Walmart. I ask them to write down their food as a food log. I ask them, don't tell me what's on this thing, but I want you to write down every damn thing that puts in your, you put in your mouth every day. I don't care what it's ice cream for breakfast, um, cheesecake for lunch, and eat uh, candy bars. The rest of I want it on that list, but call, keep calling your food into me what you plan every day. And at the third day, I say, then, okay, you gave me your food. We talked about what's going on in your life. Now, what did you eat yesterday? And what it does, it takes the guilt and shame out of compulsive overeating and relapse. The reason I say that, my experience in Overeaters Anonymous, is that most compulsive overeating is predicated, is based on guilt and shame. Guilt is I was bad. Shame is I am bad. It's the fuel of all chemical addictions in my experience. By keeping a food log, it will bring into reality what a guy is eating. When you work with people, you just might be saving somebody's life. And I have to skip through this because I'm out of time. Um, after the storm is gone, after they're out of relapse, and they're into relative normalcy in their food, then I go back and we start writing the steps. Again, the first nine steps will get you abstinent. The last three steps will keep you abstinent. And I do want to mention 
that the man who helped my sponsor get sober in the, orig- in the, in the root program was Jim Beerwell, the chapter two, the agnostic. It was Bill Wilson's sponsee. He hated Bill Wilson because Bill Wilson was a born again. This guy was a total atheist when they first came through AA. He called himself an, an agnostic later. But he's, he said one thing that I'll, I'll never forget to my lying day. And it really pissed off a lot of people in early AA because there were a lot of atheists in early AA, which you will not read in AA literature, by the way, because it was written by the born-agains. But he used to say, my sponsor told me, we're not here to save souls. We're here to save lives. I take my life one day at a time, one step at a time, one relationship at a time. Thank you, Bill and Lois and Roseanne. That's all I've got. Hi, guys. I'm David. I'm a compulsive overreader. The meeting is now open for questions from the floor to the panelists. We ask that panelists limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. This session ends at 2.15. Who would like to ask a question first? Ellie. So for the uh, tape, the um, question was, uh, uh, the sponsee is having sugar-free beverages, which are acting as a trigger for her to then... Oh, she's having alcohol, which trigger other things. Okay, so this is Sherry here, and my um, response to that... And, um, I mean, everyone on the panel can respond to the same question. But my response is, first of all, we don't allow um, any alcohol in the How OA program to begin with. It's um, just not on our food plan. Um, it's, you know, it's, it can be, the reason why it can be stated in many ways, some people understand it to be because alcohol gets between you and your higher power. It's hard to have a conscious contact with your higher power with alcohol, so we don't. So, so, so that could be a reason. Uh, another reason is there's such a high sugar content in alcohol. If you want to look at it that way, another way is it's another drug. We don't, you know, we just don't want anybody to use anything. I mean, um, so other than chewing gum or um, you know caffeine, it, it's it's just you know not allowed to use things in alcohol as a drug. So we're not allowed to use it. So that would be my answer. <laughs> it's it's simpler. Jerry, compulsive overeater. It's a very real problem in current OA. I want to say something, and I don't want to offend anybody because uh, it really has a uh, derivative in another 12-step program. The 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous were not written for people that drank alcohol or did dope. They were written for people who did not drink. Before we had traditions in Alcoholics Anonymous, anybody that drank was kicked out. 
a sponsor would ask you to leave, and it's not, let's go have coffee and talk about it. Let's get the hell out of here and don't come back. If my math is correct, for the first 100 people, which includes Jim Burwell, that wrote the 12 steps in the big book, there were 1,000 dead people. Because when people go out and drink that are alcoholic, they don't come back here and they don't live. Where I'm going with that is, oh, wait, I have, I've heard, because my guys don't drink, to my knowledge, and I don't tell them they can't drink. I just, I just tell you. But I've heard a lot of problems with people and overreaders anonymous this day and age because we have civilians in here. We have people that are not alcoholics and drug addicts, but they like to have smoke a doobie occasionally or have a drink after work. And, you can, and I don't know any, any answer to what you're saying. I just know that most of the people that I know, long-term OA, who still have their weight on after 10 and 15 years that are still obese, drink. That's all I know. I guess I don't exactly know, but I, it sounds as though if your sponsee, I'm Ella, is um, telling you that after drinking, she eats these sugar-free th- desserts and she eats more of them than she'd like, I guess you could just keep on pointing out that you notice this correlation and does she want to continue doing that and would she like to try one time? going out somewhere and not having a drink. Um, I'll just tell you briefly that there was a time when I actually um, had to deal with relapse, and I decided to go into the HOW program. And at first I saw that food plan, and I was screaming. I was just saying, oat bran? Are you kidding me? I don't eat oat bran. And um, this person said something kind of novel. She said, you're an addict, and you don't want anyone messing with your drug. And the minute she said that, it all became very clear. And then she said, why don't you just try it for a day? And I find sometimes it's useful to make that suggestion. Well, why don't you try going to that party and not having a drink and um, see what happens? How do you handle people that are coming back from full-blown relapse? Is that your question? I have I have some clarity about that, but you know, but if there's 30 people in here, they all have a different uh, modality about that. Some people don't even deal with it. My hardest problem with dealing with people coming from relapse is not somebody coming back from relapse, but somebody that has 30 years in AA or Al-Anon who has their way of working the program, and they're going to try to sponsor you. That's my biggest problem. If somebody's a newbie and they've been out for a week or a month or a year, that's a whole different ballgame. That's when I go back to the mattresses. That's when I have, okay, get this, get this food log, write your food log out. That was taught to me not by anybody in any 12-step program, by uh, a medical person years ago before I, got, before I even got sober. It works. Um, I don't know the answer to the question. I just think it's, uh, it's a serious question because the folks that are coming back after relapse are a whole different ballgame than if you got a newbie and you, you're just starting to write the steps 
just starting to get them food sober, you know, working a program, it's a whole different deal because when they come back from relapse, you're really dealing with somebody that has super defiance, and you've got to cut through that somehow and find out where, where their level of desperation is. You can work with desperation, but you can't with defiance. I, I thought I'd talk about it a little bit, too. It's still Ella. Um, I I'm frequently talk about relapse at, um, and, and, you know, kind of that's supposedly my specialty because I did it so often and so thoroughly and so well. Um, and, you know, it's different things. I think what I like to start with is just keep coming back and don't leave and that's what worked because that's what worked for me was not leaving and um and not remembering that we start out when we first come with that this is not a moral issue it's an addiction it's you can call it a disease you can call it an addiction i think of it as an addiction and um people what did people tell me they said, God is only asking you to pick yourself up one more time after you fall. So each time it's like, what I did yesterday does not have to determine what I'm doing today. You know, if you ate your brains out yesterday, that doesn't mean you can't be abstinent today. Will you try it one day at a time? And sometimes it has to be, you know, for different things work for different people. Uh, sometimes we stop because we're given a very structured plan. And we just say, wow, that just caught me up short. That broke the, the um, addiction. This is great. Sometimes it's a pretty moderate plan. Sometimes maybe it's no plan at all. It's just being honest about what you did do. But I do believe people have to have a desire to put down the food. So um, I have to be assisting people in that process. And um, so... You know, I feel different things work at different times, but again, it's try to remember that it's not it's not a moral issue, and that being honest, I think, is you know that's what they say. Um, you know, the only reason people f- fail is because they cannot be honest. That's what it says in the big book. We've had you know emotional and mental problems, but we do recover if we have the capacity to be honest. Um, for now on, can you guys come up and ask the question into the microphone? Yep, you're in the back. If you guys want to form a line over here. I'm Debbie, compulsive overeater. Um, how, how do you handle the situation where you're working with a newcomer and they're they're calling but they're not doing any of the suggested actions. Um, how long do you hang in before you just want to like, you know, throw up your hands and give up? <laughs> yeah, um, this is Sherry. Well, a- another thing that I guess makes it just easier for the sponsor is in in the how away. You know, sponsoring, it's just real laid out there. And, and, and like I think one of our um, panelists, Jerry, said before, he sort of has a, a talk, a sit-down, where they make kind of a social contract. So do I. There's no surprises. Um, 
So it's not like we get started and it all unfolds later and, gee, what do I do now? It's before um, we agree, I say, these are my requirements. I want you to think about them for a day and then call me tomorrow if you're willing to, you know, follow them all. And right there it tells them everything so there's no real surprises. It tells them how many meetings they're going to have to go to and um, it, it describes the tools, you know, about calling me and about the reading and about the writing and about the service commitment and you know all of it you know I even throw in a little meditation I hope you're gonna you know at least uh, uh, five minutes of meditation now there's some the question is what if uh, you know they're not doing certain things I mean I'm flexible with certain things some of them have told me you know for the first two years they just couldn't one told me she couldn't meditate it made her skin crawl or something like that when she tried to sit like that for that long so it was okay I'm flexible with that there's uh, you know there were lots of tools, lots of other requirements I have, lots of things she's busy doing. You don't have to be, you know, doing 100% of everything that I've ever thought that would work. So I dropped the subject, and so now, years later, she meditates every day. She loves it. It really helps her exercise. I really, you know, want my sponsees to do because it really will help so many things. And and some of them won't. But again, you know, I'm flexible. But like the question was, what if you? The, what if they're not doing anything you suggest? Well, obviously, I'm not the right sponsor for them. So I um, I tell them that this, you know, this isn't going to work. I'm not the right sponsor for you. So I need for you to go find somebody else who will, you know, sponsor you the way you want to be sponsored, because you know you. Uh, I, I don't have anything else. You know, this is what I've had to offer, and this isn't what you want, so you need to find someone else. It's really, you know, that simple for me. Hi, I'm Sue, compulsive overeater. Um, my question, sort of a follow-up to that, is um, if you have someone who really isn't working the program and really isn't being honest and um i've I've got somebody who's a long-term sponsee how how do you know when to let them go um it's like i know what's out there for this person i don't want that to happen i care a lot about her and yet at the same time part of me feels like i should dust off my feet and let the next person come in and, and let this person move on so but how do you how do you tell when when, when you should let go of somebody as a sponsee. Oh, I think this is so difficult because it's, it's so up to the person, you know. Um, I think there's, it's interesting in working with others. It's one of the first things um, that said if uh, you're, well, if your man, that's what they say, does not want to recover, does not want to stop drinking, don't waste your time. You're depriving someone else of that opportunity. I have to look at two things. Is this helping me? If I'm you know, carrying a huge resentment and if every time I hang up the phone with my sponsee, I call my sponsor and say, <laughs> what on earth am I going to do? Well, then maybe, you know, maybe this isn't so great. Um, I sat down and kind of had a heart-to-heart with one of my sponsees, and I said, well, look, um, why uh, do you feel, I mean, do you, are you getting something out of this? Why are you still my sponsee? 
Um, and why do you want to be sponsored by me? Um, it, it seems to be difficult to find a time when you can call that is convenient, and it also seems like you don't want to do anything that's been suggested. Well, this actually turned out to be, I said, just what's going on, you know, um, rather than be the enforcer. And this turned out to be kind of fruitful because this led to the, um, I will do the one thing of not eating after my dinner. And then it led to, well, I think I won't eat everything I can at dinner just so I don't eat after, you know. And so it's been interesting. But um, frequently I call other people for advice. But I think we just have to say, is it working for me? And that if I've been clear about what, I think people have to do because I finally say I don't I don't expect people to have to be abstinent but I do ask that you do everything in your power to be so and that's all that worked for me so I think as if it said if the person's not working the program but they just want to be able to say they have a sponsor well mm, I don't know that I want to cooperate in that particular venture <laughs> Jerry, compulsive overeater. This is a very hard question or hard thing to deal with because my experience has been when you've been dealing with a sponsee for months and years, you have an emotional attachment. I don't give a damn who you are or who they are. You just cannot, I can't get around that. I know I have a closer attachment to my sponsee. I know my sponsees are sleeping with. I have no idea who my kids are sleeping with. You know? <laughs> um... I love my friends in Al-Anon. They have a term for this. I don't want to piss anybody off. But when you help someone perpetuate their chemical dependency, when you give them love, sex, money, or acknowledgement and keep stroking them and telling them they're okay, even though you know the warning signs are not calling in, they're lying about their food, or they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, they call that enabling. And that's not about them. That's about you. And when it's time to go, now I ask for help. I call people and I say, like you're talking about, this is going on, this is going on, and I get outside help. That's been what I do because I'm not present enough to make the decision. Anybody else? Beth, compulsive overeater. Um, how sponsor-sponsee relationships are our relationships. How do you work with sponsees and other programs that are about relationships? Or do you work at any differently? No, in a, dip, a program about relationships. Al-Anon, SLAA, CODA. You don't work at any differently is what I'm seeing. In other words, how, how do we... How are, are there different boundaries? Are there different boundaries that you put on the relationships? Okay. Hi. 
Hi, my name's Alma, and I'm a compulsive reader. My question entails around food. Um, how do you come to the mutual agreement that, um, okay, I believe, in my opinion, this can work for you for right now. We can go ahead and revisit it. I guess the three meals or the two snacks or just the food itself, because sometimes as a newcomer, um, again, without enabling anybody, you want to ease the individual into the process and not scare them away and run away. But, you know, how much is how much, and how do you guys make those decisions with your sponsees about the food? This is Sherry. And, um, well, there's not a whole lot of um, working together to make a food plan and negotiating and sitting down what works for you, for me, as a sponsor, and how, because that doesn't work for me. It didn't work for me, so I don't sponsor that way for others. There is a food plan. It's a basic food plan for losing weight. Unless they come in and they just need to maintain, then there's a maintenance food plan. And we sit down, and I explain the food plan, and this is what it is. And um, nobody can argue with the food plan because it's it's a healthy one. It's it's the one that you know a doctor would give you today. If I looked on the internet to what a healthy food plan is, that's what would come up. Our food plan. It's you know all the healthy foods that you need and uh, nothing on it that isn't healthy. And then some of the things that would uh, conflict with losing weight are not on it, but they are on the maintenance food plan. Now, so there's really no negotiating or anything else other than a person if they have allergies or medical issues or things like that. And then they go to their doctor, and their doctor fixes it for them, and then we can work together. So other than for medical reasons, there's there's no, you know, I don't ease them into it. I hand them a food plan, and uh, most people who really are serious about getting the weight off are happy to get it. So that's my take. Well, I have two thoughts, because a lot of times people come in and all they say is, I, I need some clarity. I don't know what to do. And I think oftentimes when people say, I'm so confused, I don't know what abstaining is, it's, you know, it's a manifestation of reluctance, not a manifestation of confusion. And um, I thought that early instruction, you know, make a list of foods that you can't eat um, in any kind of moderate, reasonable way, and make a list of those behaviors and don't do them, you know, that's a good start. Now, when I came in, it was kind of simple. Nobody, I mean, I have to say, you know, there's been as many diets and as many different thoughts from nutritionists in the 31 years I've been in OA than there have been people. I mean, you could go on the Internet and be told to eat a paleo diet, you know, which is just whatever, meat and fruits. And then you could be told to eat a vegan diet, which is grains and stuff like that. And they would all sound perfectly reasonable and perfectly healthy. So God knows, I think it's perfectly reasonable to just say, you know, eat three meals a day and call me in the morning. And, um, you know, we are here to put, you know, we are here to stop being food addicts, as far as I can see. And the first way to do that is to put down the substance. So sometimes if it's just too fuzzy and too wussy-wussy, it's not really that helpful. That's been my experience. That is all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close this session. 
Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. If you have enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the OA promise, I put my hand in yours.